Welcome one and all to a very special Dice Company. In the break of the main campaign, we will be delving into our characters' backstories. Charlie, why don't you tell us what we're in store for now? Well, I thought it would be interesting to tell you the story of what happened to Vanda's original crew. Well, take it away with Chapter 1 of Shadows Before Dawn. It's night. Rain drives down, further blackening the sleek stone of a courtyard as six cloaked figures begin to cross in silence, the last of the group moving more slowly in a haggard fashion. As they reach the darkness of the outer wall, the leader quietly turns a key in the lock of a heavy door but finds it doesn't fit. As this is happening, torches begin to light around the fortified walls and soldiers appear running in lines taking up positions whilst drawing recurved bows. Taking in the situation, the leader turns, drawing his own bow, and barks, Nay! The door! As the second in the group, a near giant of a man shoulders past, slamming bodily into it, causing the hinges to groan audibly. Above, a volley of arrows flick out, cutting down one of the group who falls soundless to the ground. Another arrow pierces the leg of the haggard one, slowing his progress further. Throwing off her cloak, a raven-haired woman sprints into the open, raising her arm as she does so. Two arrows strike an invisible barrier as she pulls him to safety behind a pillar. The leader of the group is shouting orders now as he begins loosing arrow after arrow up at the palisade wall. Howls of wounded soldiers pierce the night air, but for each downed man, another is already taking his place. We've been betrayed, shouts the leader, knocking another arrow. Olin's already dead, rasps the haggard figure. I saw him take an arrow high in the neck. You don't know that, roars another of the group, a bearded man with a huge shield he is already unhooking from his back. So, the bastards think they can kill one of us that easy? The wee shites don't know who they're dealing with? And with that, he paces out into the courtyard, hefting a spear and hurling it at the massed ranks. The bolt punches into the chest of an unlucky soldier, throwing them out of sight. Continuing his run, the man slides to a halt, raising his enormous shield over the fallen member of the group. No! screams the raven-haired woman. Matthias, he's dead! Come back! Arrows slam into his shield as the bearded man grunts, taking the strain. Get up, laddie! Get up! We've got to get the fuck out of here! But the figure doesn't stir. Let's go! Let's bloody go! Shouts the bearded man, flicking his eyes down for a second. As he does so, an arrow pierces his shoulder, throwing the shield up, and three more immediately strike him from his feet. Matthias! No! Not like this! Shouts the raven-head woman, who stands her hand bursting into flame. A manacle around her wrist from which a broken chain hangs begins to glow with molten heat as flame courses from her into the lines of soldiers above. With explosive force, 
Men are set ablaze as even the stones around them begin to melt in the inferno. Bathed in this hellish light, more soldiers march out into the centre of the courtyard. A commander yells orders as a shield wall quickly forms and begins to close on the group. Without hesitation, the leader turns his attention to this new threat, loosing arrow after arrow between the shields. Each shot is rewarded with a cry, but the column's pace never slows, and spears begin to slide out between each shield, their points gleaming in the light of the fires above. Can you break the door? shouts the leader, his eyes never leaving the oncoming soldiers. She'll give just a few more seconds, returns the giant, who is now pulling metalwork free of the door with his massive hands. Suddenly, there is a scream from the soldier's commander who begins convulsing as a thin green thread of light connects him to the outstretched hand of the haggard figure. Falling to one knee, the commander screams, Charge the men! And the line's speed increases. The raven-head woman's hands begin to move again now, in a complex gesture, as she looks down at the haggard figure. For a split second, her two blue eyes meet his one green. Don't move, she says. You'll live if you don't move. I'll buy you time, barks the leader, dropping his bow and unsheathing two wicked-looking short swords. I've nearly got it, calls the giant, as his hands rip one of the door's hinges from the wall. Behind him, the shield wall falters as the group's leader slides between two soldiers and dispatches them with sharp economical thrusts. Even as he does so, another soldier leaps onto his back, stabbing down with the broken end of a spear. More quickly surround the pair, who are lost to sight in a melee of stabbing. I've got it, yells the giant, as he lifts what remains of the battered door out of its frame. But several spears pierce his back as he does so. The giant turns, causing horrified soldiers to withdraw in fear as he remains impossibly on his feet. A massive hand reaches down and pulls one of them into the air. With shocking force, the soldier is driven into a nearby pillar. But as the sound of breaking bones and armour ring out, two more spears embed themselves in the giant's chest as he takes an involuntary step backwards. For a second, he stands facing the now reforming shield wall but then he falls slowly backwards through the door, dead before he hits the ground. The haggard figure remains motionless as soldiers stream through the opening in pursuit of the group's remaining members. It can only be seconds now before they see him, but still the figure doesn't move. The raven-haired lady has disappeared, but freeing her might be the only good thing to come, he reflects, whilst waiting to be found. The thrill of death causes a small smile to spread across his broken face. Well, two lives is surely enough for any man, as a soldier moves to stand directly in front of him. But the soldier looks straight through the spot where the haggard man lies, appearing to see nothing. Recovering now, the commander is back on his feet, though his eyes are bloodshot and he looks near to collapse. Bloody magic users! We lost near half a cohort! Sergeant! The soldier's gaze immediately moves to the commander as he snaps to attention. Sup? Four dead and accounted for. Two outstanding, but we'll run them down. Riders and dogs are being dispatched as we speak. I want their bloody heads, Sergeant! This is a bloody disaster! Yes, sir. Sparrow! Where the bloody hell is that little viper? 
I want him in front of me now, or so help me. Right here, Commander. An elderly bespectacled man wearing plain clothes materialises by the commander's side. What in the name of the gods was that? You said six people who knew their way around a blade. You said one of them was a bloody cripple. My master's apologies. He believed a soldier of your experience could have used the trap we laid for you to dispatch Palian's bandits quickly and efficiently. I felt the bastard enter my mind, bawls the commander. We should have had our own magic users in support, not sleeping in their beds while good men die. Keep a detail like this secret from me again, Sparrow, and I'll have you crucified. Of course, replies the other calmly. Can I report the deaths of every member of the group? No, you may not. Two are still breathing, though not for long. You will have your news in the morning. That is unfortunate, says the bespectacled man. Then I have a second message for you. What now? In the event that a member of the group lives to see the dawn, you are to ride for the capital and announce yourself to the Emperor's Inquisitors. The commander's face changes colour. You want me to report myself for torture? I do not want it. I dislike violence, but I am not the one who decides these things, Commander. My master is, and he is cut from a very different cloth. My orders come direct from him. You are aware that Joseph is now the High Inquisitor? The commander pauses. Yes, I am aware of it. And of Rima's new station. Sergeant! Wait the reserves. I want these men hunted down and killed within the hour. Otherwise, I will be taking you as my personal escort to the capital. Now, confirm your orders. Sir, yes, sir. As the sergeant begins to run in the direction of the main keep. Several hours later, the torches of hundreds of soldiers can be seen on the surrounding hills in the greying light of the morning. From his post on the wall, a guard gathers a winter cloak tightly around him to ward off the cold and turns outward to look at the distant sea. A needle-like blade slips under his armoured collar and into his neck. As though invisible strings have been cut, the man drops to the ground as a haggard figure shambles from the gloom. For a moment he regards the dead soldier before climbing awkwardly over the rampart and pitching himself off the battlements. Air rushes past as he plummets towards the ground, but at the last moment his fall suddenly slows and he touches down lightly before hobbling towards the tree line. At the wood edge, the figure turns back to look at the fort and the smoke rising from the ruins of the courtyard. Reaching down, he pulls an arrow from his leg. A spasm of pain causes a grimacing smile to cross his face as he throws the shaft into the long grass. Tightening his hand on a cane, the figure draws back his hood to reveal a mask half encasing his heavily scarred face. One green eye gleams with a dark malevolence as the figure turns back and begins making his way slowly into the trees. Two days pass. 
Usually the sleepy backwater of the empire, the countryside around the fort of Eastwatch is now the centre of the largest manhunt its inhabitants has ever known. Soldiers patrol the streets in every town, and each night the whir of airships can be heard as they bring fresh supplies and troops into the area. Frustrated at the lack of progress, soldiers have begun making their own random inspections, which, as often as not, have become public beatings. Worse, there are whisperings of distant fires burning on farms no one dares approach, and accounts of riders coming from these places, bearing the mark of the Shadow Vanguard. None of this, however, permeates the walls of a fine house on the main street of Lackbourne. In his study, a man sits, quill in hand, as he reviews a ledger. His aquiline nose moves with his eyes as he efficiently scores one line and carefully adds a note to another. A knock sounds at the door. Come, says the man, not looking up from his work. A stocky man enters, whose muscles look as though they may rip through his clerk's uniform at any moment. Sir, we have a... He pauses. A visitor downstairs. He looks as though he might die soon, but he says he wishes to speak to you on an urgent matter. This is met with silence, save for the continued scratching of a quill. Just as the man is about to speak again, the ledger closes with a snap. I have corrected your work now, Ronald, and still regard it as a form of mathematical heresy. Improve, or you will be returned to a more active role. The clerk shuffles uncomfortably. It's my eye, sir, he sputters. I can improve. Yes, so you've said more than once. Now, I was expecting a visit from either a beautiful dark-haired woman or a creature who looks as though he has been refused admission from the five hells. By your description, I imagine we are faced with the latter. That being the case, I will have a drink in payment for this misfortune. With this, the man stands and makes his way to a side table, decanting some extremely fine brandy into a glass before drinking its contents in one. How close to death did you say he was? Well, to tell the truth, it's hard to know. There's blood everywhere, and the bits that aren't bleeding look worse than the bits that are. If he wasn't moving, I would have said he was dead already. Ah, most definitely Mr. Finnick, then. His accounts show that he has no next of kin. The Dark Bank would have benefited most generously were his little light to flicker out, so to speak. Oh well, it can't be helped. The man turns. You are armed. Always. Why? Keep it close. His records also show Mr. Finnick has a nasty proclivity for stowing a large flintlock about his person, and I don't plan to end the evening in the hands of that butcher, Dr. Gant. Oh, right you are, sir. The clerk checks a snub-nosed flintlock, which he quickly conceals again. Well then, let us see what business Mr. Finnick wishes to conduct this evening, and the two men leave for the study door. Downstairs, Vander Finnick sits in a finely upholstered armchair, quietly bleeding into it. An elegantly curved spiral staircase clinks with footsteps as the two enter the room, causing gas lamps around the fine walls to flicker delicately. Mr. Finnick, charmed to meet you. I am Rufus Tarot, the Dark Bank's representative in this area. You are well, I trust. A delight to meet you also, Mr. Tarot. Please excuse me for not rising. I've lost a lot of blood, you see. And if you step around this fine chair, you'll find 
I've also been sick. I do apologise. I'm a little under the weather. I would be grateful for some clean bandages if you have any. Your health is a personal matter. We do not deal in healing, Mr. Finnick, but rest assured if you expire on our premises, your body will be conducted to a nearby stream and the costs recovered from your accounts. Last rites can be included at a modest additional fee, of course. If healing is your immediate concern, there is an excellent physician on this street who would be delighted to tend to you. I recommend him highly. I have made Dr. Gant's acquaintance once before. I can see why you've made banking your profession, Mr. Tarot. Your medical advice leaves something to be desired. Yes, well, you will find my advice is far better on the matter of finance. I trust this is the reason for your visit this evening. But before either man can speak again, the front door opens suddenly. Get inside, you fool, quickly, says a man hurrying across the threshold. The other, a man dressed in the distinctive uniform of a sergeant-at-arms, obliges, quickly shutting the door behind them both. The two step into the dimly lit room, shaking off snow and stamping their feet to return some feeling. Oh, Commander! rasps Vander, looking up and recognising the face of the late commander of Eastwatch Fort. Are you here on business or pleasure? Your uniform looks as though it's seen better days. Are you well? You! exclaims the man. Sergeant, take your sword and gut this creature! The sergeant responds to the order, unsheathing a longsword and stepping towards the bloodied armchair. Gentlemen, Need I remind you that you are stood on company premises, interjects Mr. Tarot silkily. I am sure you are aware we have rules. The sergeant pauses and looks back at his commander uncertainly. Please take a moment to admire our fine premises, the priceless tapestries on the walls, and please do acquaint yourselves with our friendly staff. At this, Mr. Tarot gestures at cloaked figures who have materialised in every corner of the room. Our policy on violence, gentlemen, is violence of our own, so please put away your blade before we credit you with five poison-tipped darts, three assassin's blades, and a complimentary tour of our town's sewer facilities. All transactions are non-refundable. The commander stares open-mouthed as he looks between Vander and the speaker. Are you aware that this man is a fugitive? Anyone harbouring him will be mentioned by name to the Emperor himself. He has taken a personal interest in the matter, you know. I am quite aware, thank you, Commander. I am also aware that you yourself are in flight for failing to bring Mr. Finnick here to justice, and that you will no doubt be wanting our services in this fine institution tonight to make good on your escape. This is why you are here, I believe? This is met with a gaze of barely contained fury. Well, I would be delighted to discuss terms and to take you through our competitive repayments plan. Would that be of interest? A complicated range of emotions crosses the commander's face as he glares at the man who has cost him his career and potentially his life. Rage fights with disbelief, but both finally give way to mottled constraint. I would be interested to hear your terms, Master Clark, the commander says through gritted teeth. Excellent. With that, Mr. Tarot claps his hands, 
causing the dark figures to vanish back into the recesses from whence they came. Hmm, let me see, he says, appearing to mentally review some inner policy. We can offer you, yes, 500 gold at a repayment of 2,000 gold, payable at the month's close at any of our branches. Alternatively, you could extend your payments over a greater period, but further interest will be incurred. You may choose to vary these terms at any time, subject to our zero negotiations policies. Please be aware that your money is at risk when dealing with us and that we are not subject to the financial or legal constraints of whatever region you would care to name and in whatever pleading tone you may wish to enjoin at any later stage. Bloody hell! So it's robbery, is it? exclaims the commander, his momentary calm shattered. 400% interest is an insult. I am a member of a noble house and a guardian of this land. You show me disrespect and I won't stand for it, sir. Change your terms or you will be a marked man. The Deveres never forget a slight. What say you to that, sir? Well, to that, I say Mr. Tarot is not my real name, as he cleans his glasses of spit. I don't know what marking is, but I do know that it doesn't feature in our bank's policies, so I don't care for it. If our terms are not to your liking, I encourage you to visit our competitors. The Lackbourne Town Trust Bank is five minutes' walk from here. Their offices are open next Monday from nine o'clock. They are what we call a daylight bank, though. If a man can be said to explode through thought alone, the commander looks as if he may. Veins stick out on his neck, and his hands move towards his sword before juddering to a stop under some invisible but nevertheless arresting tension. You have the advantage of me then, sir he says finally, every muscle in his body taut. We do, Mr. Tarrow returns warmly. I'm pleased that you have come to the same conclusion. I I want a horse too, a, a fast one, two horses, one for each of us, says the commander in a series of spasms, finding himself unable to look away from Vander, who looks on politely. I was just explaining to Mr. Finnick that we are not a surgery, nor are we a stable or a tailor's, or an apothecary. We are a bank, Mr. Devere, as this seems to be the more proper term of address now you are no longer a commander. So I say again, are our services of interest to you? A thousand on my debt for the horses. Mr. Tarot nods with a smile reserved for those who have chosen to speak his language. Certainly, two horses with provisions will be waiting for you in our welcoming courtyard. It is enclosed as we understand our client's discretion is a quality our members highly regard. Please allow my colleague to take you through to our signing room. A small amount of blood will be required in the signing process, as this is a debt, but I assure you that this is a standard part of the service. Ronald, please escort Mr. Devere and his friend. Thank you for choosing the Dark Bank. Your needs are our highest priority. The two men are gently led to a side door their muscles appearing to go under some protest. At its threshold, the commander turns back, snarling. Expect a blade in your back soon, Mr. Finnick, if indeed you last the night. Devere money buys lives as well as it buys horses, boy. And with that, he strides through the door and is lost to sight, his sergeant following behind. Now, where were we, Mr. Finnick? says the master clerk, turning back to the chair with a welcoming smile. 
Are you still with us? Yes, thank you for your concern, returns Vander, his one eye still twinkling with life. I would like to make a withdrawal, if you please. Certainly. And with that, Mr. Tarot strides over to a delicate desk, opening some drawers and retrieving a stack of ledgers. How much would you like to withdraw? The full sum, please. The full sum? We would be sorry to lose your custom, Mr. Finnick. We do hope you will consider banking with us again. Can I ask the reason for your foreclosure? It helps us to record these things, you see. It is a matter of customer service. Of course, I aim to finance vengeance, kill many people, and pay a large medical bill. Mr. Tarot nods, clearly not unused to transactions of this nature, and makes another note in his ledger. As his quill scratches, Vander speaks again. I appreciate your stance on supplementary services, but I was hoping to prevail on you further. I do know of a doctor whose patients often live, but he is some distance away. I have an airship hidden nearby, though I lack the ability to fly it in my current condition. It occurs to me that a crew of automatons would improve my situation considerably. I was wondering if the Dark Bank had such facilities for the right price. Mr. Tarot finishes his writing and leans back in his chair, considering. You do have considerable assets with us, Mr. Finnick. Your request, though, is no small thing. As you know, automatons of the sort you will need are all but illegal in this part of the world. Of course, I do remember you said something of your services not being bound by local restraints, though. Mr. Tarot smiles again. They are not. I am aware of the existence of four automatons in good working condition nearby, and of an owner who would be most unwilling to part with them. Their purchase, plus my not inconsiderable negotiation fee, would be substantial. I've no doubt. Then please conclude our transaction and hand me the remaining sum. This is met with a series of scribbles as several ledgers are updated. Finally, Mr. Tarot rises and places a small bag of coins into Vander's hand. This is it, says Vander, his gnarled hand weighing the small purse as his one eye bores into the clock. Yes, correct to the penny, Mr. Finnick. You will note your fee includes the cleaning cost of removing your blood from our welcoming room, returns the clerk evenly, handing him a note of payment. Your new automatons will be waiting for you on the airship you've hidden in the woods five miles southeast of here four days ago. I trust this is to your satisfaction. As ever, the dark bank misses little, says Vander with some amusement. It does seem to leave you very little negotiation time with the owner of the automatons, though. That has me wondering. You've paid for the very best, Mr. Finnick. And in answer to things missed, we will, of course, miss your service. We do hope you will be banking with us again soon. I have taken the liberty of leaving a single gold coin in your account. I hope this meets with your approval. It does. Thank you for your banking services. Always a pleasure to know my funds are in such capable hands. Of course. If there are no other matters to discuss, then allow me to show you out. Please remember to consider the Dark Bank in all your future financial endeavours. Many thanks, says Vander, getting to his feet 
with considerable difficulty. As he straightens, a bloody hand extends from his robes. It is taken by Mr. Tarot, who appears not to notice the gore as it drips from their clasped hands. Vanda releases the grip and smiles a disturbing farewell to the clerk as he shuffles awkwardly into the night. Mr. Tarot looks down at his hand. Just revolting, he says, as he cleans it with a handkerchief and hears the side door click as Ronald re-enters the room. I showed him out the back way, sir. Thank you, Ronald. But Mr. Tarot continues to look after Vanda. So close to death, he says almost to himself. More loudly, it strikes me that Mr. Finnick has no idea what he's begun. No, sir, says Ronald confusedly. Why? What has he begun? A note is passed in response. This came earlier this evening. Ronald reads, To all bank representatives, on the authority of the offices of the High Inquisitor, lawful executor of the Emperor's will in matters of justice, any contact made with one known or recognised to be van der Finnick is to be concluded with the death of said person. This message is binding and must be read and adhered to by all establishments. Five hells, says Ronald, reading the note. We had orders. We should have killed him. No, Ronald. We are the Dark Bank, says Mr. Tarot. The realm has clearly forgotten we are professionals. We only kill non-members. Please update his accounts. And with that, he stands and passes Ronald a ledger. I believe we have found one account you may update without review, he says as he climbs the stairs. Ronald looks down at the ledger, finding a note against the name van der Finnick. It reads, one single gold coin. 